Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. I think most people would say that the biggest question for Georgia to answer here in 2022 is how it replaces so much of the great talent it lost off last year's defense. A lot of those guys are going to be first-round picks in the NFL draft, which takes place on Thursday. And for Georgia, who does start the year as a major contender for the national championship, I think what number three in preseason uh, uh, FPI that comes out from ESPN, uh, FanDuel, and some of the sports books have put out their Week One odds against uh, for some of these top, you know, non-conference games. Georgia's about a fifteen-point favorite against Oregon. We told you that'd be the case. That's what it turned out to be. So, you know, pretty much every single measurement that you have out there suggests right now that that Georgia is a big-time national championship favorite again for the upcoming season. But in order to make good on those preseason predictions and be in that playoff conversation come December, replacing a lot of what you lost on defense last year is just going to be a big part of that story. And in fact, Kirby Smart himself even addressed that on Saturday after G-Day, acknowledging that when he thinks about this defense right now, he thinks about finding guys, developing guys to do some of what Trayvon Walker and and Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt and Nicobe Dean and Quay Walker and Lewis Seen and on and on we could go. Finding guys who can do some for Georgia this year, what those guys did for Georgia last year, even after G-Day, that was a big thing on Kirby Smart's mind. This is what Smart said about that on Saturday. And it takes a full day's work by our defensive staff to replace what's leaving here. And we're trying as fast as we can. We have some talented players on defense. They just don't have experience, guys. You cannot put a price tag on experience. And we don't have a, 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 a enough guys with experience. So what do you got to do? You got to get them experience. You got to go play in scrimmages. You got to play in an environment like today. So our, our kids will grow from this. We're just very fortunate that we don't have a 15th practice. We have a 15th game. So I get to see how they react to giving up a play. So that's Kirby Smart echoing, I think, what a lot of fans would also say as well about Georgia for the upcoming season, that replacing the players from last year's defense is really important. However, let me give you something different to think about here just for a moment. What if it's true, I believe it might be, what if it's true that the most important thing for Georgia to replace off last year's defense isn't a player or even talent you know, just in general, what if the most important thing to replace from last year's defense is something different than that? I think you can suggest that for as talented as Georgia's defense was in 2021, that talent alone doesn't help explain why that defense was so good. I think part of the reason that Georgia was so good defensively last season is because really talented players were also coached in the direction of a very important mindset. And that mindset was instilled by Dan Lanning, the defensive coordinator. Now, most of you, I think, view Lanning as a good coach. And you heard me say a lot last offseason that Georgia keeping Lanning in place for 2021 was really important. Lanning could have maybe been Kansas head coach or could have maybe been Texas defensive coordinator for a very big price tag and ultimately decided to stay at UGA. And what we said was that decision for Lanning to stay, that ability by Georgia to hold on to him, would end up being really important for UGA, not just because Lanning is a good coach, I believe that he is, the fact that he's gotten the Oregon head coaching job so quickly into his coaching career seems to demonstrate that. But the thing that Lanning really gave UGA 
was a mindset, a dedication towards pass rush that other talented Georgia defenses, and make no mistake about it, for the most part during the smart era, the Georgia defenses have all been really talented. But for the most part, those talented Georgia defenses didn't always have that same commitment to the pass rush. And so when you think about Georgia here for 2022 with the landing no longer being here, the question you have to ask yourself is, can Georgia replicate that same dedication to getting after quarterbacks without Lanning that it showed while Lanning was here? And if you want to put a finer point on this here for a moment, let me show you a couple of stats here. For those of you watching on video, you'll see this on the screen. And if you're listening to radio podcast, I will give this to you. Do we not have this uh, here right now? Well, that's a mistake on my part then. Let me see if I can just uh, uh, read this to you uh, nonetheless. So if you want to go back and look at Georgia here for a moment. Let's see if I can. All right. Sorry about this. No graphic to show you on this. Let me just read this to you nonetheless. So if you want to go back and look at Georgia just for a moment, when you look at the number of sacks that Georgia has produced so far in the Kirby Smart era, Smart uh, been on the job here dating back to uh, 2016. That's how long Smart's been here. Good defenses in almost every one of those years. But when you look at the actual performance of sacking and getting after quarterbacks, you see a lot more of that kind of success in the landing area than previous to that. Now, I want to look at this specifically related to how Georgia has ranked nationally when it comes to sacks. The reason we're going to look at national rank on this and not just total sacks, the reason why we're going to do that is because um, is because. In 2020, there was a pandemic year. Georgia played fewer games than it typically does, which means the overall sack total can be misunderstood unless you look at it from the standpoint of Georgia also playing fewer games. So let's walk through this starting in 2016. Georgia was 46th nationally in Kirby Smart's first year with 29 total sacks. The next year, 2017, that was uh, an SEC championship year, college football playoff year for Georgia. They were 27th nationally with 34 sacks. They're you know, therefore pretty good. But watch this. In the last year of Mel Tucker's tenure as defensive coordinator, remember the 2018 defense? It was a really good defense, right? It had guys like DeAndre Walker, and you could mention some pretty big names that were on this defense. Yet Georgia in 2018, a very good year defense of the program, was just 84th nationally with 24 sacks. See, that's a good defense that didn't quite have that same commitment to getting after the quarterback and if you want to understand why a really good 2018 team fell just short of beating Alabama in the SEC championship and just short of being back in the college football playoff maybe not getting after the quarterback could help explain kind of why that was the case that that it was a stingy defense didn't allow very many points didn't allow very many yards but it wasn't as aggressive a defense as otherwise could have been same thing's kind of true by the way when you look at 2019 now this is Dan Lanning's first year as Georgia defensive coordinator a very talented defense very stingy they were among the nation's best in terms of not giving up very many points not giving up very many yards you remember how good the 2019 defense was viewed to be but they were just 46th nationally when it comes to total sacks with just 31 so at this point in time in the smart era transitioning from mel tucker to dan lanning you've got really good defenses that were keeping teams off the scoreboard that were limiting the t the opponent's ability to move up and down the field but ultimately not being as aggressive at getting after quarterbacks then suddenly, lo and behold, landing second year in 2020 in a year that otherwise wasn't great for the Georgia defense, but you did start to see the, the commitment to being aggressive defensively, allowing talented players to get after quarterbacks, to make plays in the backfield. 
you started to see that emerge here a little bit in 2020. You played fewer games, but you had more sacks than you'd ever had before. In 2020, Lanning's second year's defensive coordinator, Georgia actually skyrocketed up to 12th nationally with 32 sacks. They go from 46th in 2019 to 12th nationally in sacks in just over a year. I would say the reason why you can explain that is because of the, I guess, the full maturity of Dan Lanning's idea of he wanted to see this team get after quarterbacks he wanted to see this team be more aggressive he wanted to take those talented players in the Georgia roster turn them loose to let them do what they came to college to do and the results spoke for themselves and then in 2021 all of a sudden you take an entirely uh, another step forward in all this Georgia last season was fourth nationally with 40 49 sacks so Georgia's always had talent Georgia's always had uh, players who helped make a very stingy defense, a very good defense. Georgia really hasn't had a bad defense at any point in time in the Kirby Smart era. However, those defenses weren't always as aggressive, as dominant as they've proven to be the last couple of years under Dan Lanning, 12th nationally in sacks in 2020, fourth nationally in sacks in 2021. So with Lanning no longer here, can Georgia replicate that mindset now with Glenn Schumann and Will Muschamp leading the Georgia defense? I believe that's the crucial question that must be answered as you look ahead to the upcoming year. In fact, I think it's really interesting that thus far, and you've heard Kirby Smart talk about this, that Smart really hasn't wanted to identify the distribution of decision-making responsibilities between Muschamp and, and, and Schumann. He says that behind the scene, the, the Georgia players know what that distribution is, but publicly, that's not really been something he wants to talk about as of yet. But at a certain point in time, it, it sort of seems like somebody's going to have to have to step up and speak up on behalf of this Georgia defense. And whether it's Muschamp or whether it's Schumann, I think we should all listen really closely to what that guy says about the upcoming defense. Not just how you replace talented players, but how you replicate the mindset that Lanning put in place over the course of the last couple of years here. In fact, let me go back to last summer here for a moment, because it certainly seems like as we head towards the, the summer and the 2022 season, the start of that season, at a certain point in time, we'll hear someone speak in kind of that introductory press conference type role about the Georgia defense, whether it's Schumann, whether it's whether it's uh, Muschamp, and will they speak as openly about the desire for the pass rush as Lanning did this time last year? Let me give you the context for the question in the clip you're about to hear from Dan. So he was asked about the success that Aziz Ojolari had had for 2020. That was the leading pass rusher for the Dogs there that season when Georgia broke through for really the first time from a pass rush standpoint in the Kirby Smart era. Ojolari helped lead the way with all of that. And with obviously Ojolari not here going into last season, how do you replace what Ojolari provided? And you're going to hear Dan mention some names here, and some of these you know turned out to be you know pretty valuable. Other these guys ended up not quite having uh, for different reasons the year that you maybe thought they would. But just listen to the commitment Lanning demonstrates to getting after quarterbacks, the way in which the idea of havoc plays and pass rush and, and things of that nature just kind of drip off of his words with uh, all of this. This is Dan Lanning from last year, and I think it's a pretty interesting template for what we should hopefully hear from Georgia defensive coaches going into the upcoming season there as well, Dan Lanning from last summer. Obviously, Aziz provided a lot of consistency for us in a pass pro standpoint, you know, but, you know, his success also limited maybe some other guys' opportunity on the field. So I know we know, you know, obviously Adam Anderson's skill set and his ability to rush the passer. I think it's going to create some 
opportunities for guys like Nolan Smith, Robert Beal that have been sharing some of those reps in the past. And then Trayvon Walker, I expect, you know, really big things to show up with him and, and excited about some of the young guys that, that kind of come into the fold. And I think we will continue to adapt defensively about where we create pressure, where we create those one-on-ones. Maybe that means there's going to be some more one-on-ones inside rather than, you know, out on the edge. But I feel confident we've got the guys that can replace some of that production for Aziz and also excited to see what Aziz does at the next level for the Giants. So here's my point by playing this clip from Dan Lanning a year ago. It is pretty obvious that he had put a lot of thought into how Georgia was going to get after the quarterback last season with Aziz Ojolari no longer here. And when you look at the success that Georgia enjoyed defensively last season, I think that helps explain it as much as anything. I mean, yes, this Georgia team was was seemingly uniquely talented, but it's not like previous Georgia defenses also didn't have a lot of talent. One of the things, though, that some of those previous Georgia defenses seem to be missing in comparison to what Georgia's had the last couple of years, though, is that aggressive mindset, that dedication to getting after quarterbacks. So with new faces on the defense for the upcoming season, the question has to be asked, will Will Muschamp and Glenn Schumann, the new leaders of the Georgia defense, will they be as steadfastly dedicated to getting after quarterbacks as Dan Lanning proved to be? He was a big step forward for Georgia in that regard during his time as defensive coordinator. And if this 2022 defense is going to resemble in any form and fashion the success that Georgia enjoyed last year, replicating that success at getting after the quarterbacks, at least mirroring it as much as possible, that's going to be a big question to answer along the way to doing just that. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Meriwether and Tharp. Hello to you, and thanks for being with us. No matter how you get to us, live on video, 945, first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app, 10 a.m. after that on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. We're just glad to have you as a part of the program here today. Of course, radio podcast the same way. All the various podcast platforms and our radio friends on 96 The Ref, just very, very happy to have you a part of the program. And a huge thanks to our friends at Meriwether and Tharp, making it all possible. You know, Meriwether and Tharp is your source for Georgia divorce. And we're heading towards that time of year where, you know, it's warmer weather. You're thinking about vacations. You're thinking about fun things to do this summer. But unfortunately, as we head towards that time, you know, for some people, it's not all happiness, right? It's not all the, the rosy picture that maybe at one time you envisioned for yourself. You are maybe being forced to confront the fact that you're part of a marriage that could be coming to an end. And I'm guessing that you probably try to do everything you can to prevent that from being true. But at a certain point in time, acknowledging what is true is just kind of an important step. And I am sorry for you about that. It's not the kind of thing that I talk about lightly. I'm sure it's not the kind of thing that you take lightly. But sometimes it is just a reality that must be confronted. So if you find yourself in that situation, I don't know that I could ever wave a magic wand and take it away from you. In fact, I know that I can't. But I can give you what I think is some very helpful advice. Let's make sure you have a strong advocate on your side as you go through all of this. And for me, that means my friends at Meriwether and Tharp. They truly are your source for Georgia divorce. They understand the law. And they understand that the, that the law has implications for you. And you can leverage their knowledge of this to set yourself up for success. As you move on in a new phase of your life, you can do so with confidence. You can do so with, with a nice foundation that comes from, from really improving your circumstances by 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 coming to a strong agreement through at all of this with Meriwether and Tharp there on your side. So reach out to them online, the AtlantaDivorceTeam.com. That's the website, the AtlantaDivorceTeam.com. And you can explore some of their free resources. That means blog uh, posts, that means podcasts. 
Uh, you, you can you know, kind of explore some of this. And I think what that does is it gives you the information maybe that you need to ask better questions and really, really good, you know, thorough uh, questions when you have that first free initial consultation with one of Meriwether and Tharp's attorneys. And then after that, you can make the decision to hire Meriwether and Tharp and allow them to do good work for you. I think you'll be really glad that you did this. So if you find yourself in a tough situation, make that situation just a little bit easier by having a tough attorney there on your side. That's what Meriwether and Tharp is. So find them online, theatlantadivorceteam.com, uh, theatlantadivorceteam.com. That's how you get in touch with Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. We're going to get in touch with uh, Terrence Edwards here coming up in a moment good stuff from the former georgia wide receiver here today looking forward to being able to do that obviously big thoughts from him on some of those pass catching targets who really seem to emerge for uga on g day i'm looking forward to that before that though on video here for a moment i'm going to show you this in radio podcast i'll describe this to you so georgia put out a tweet yesterday now i gotta confess something here for a moment when i first saw this tweet i had no idea what this was in regards to and now that I've seen the tweet and seen the response to the tweet, now I think I do know what this is about, but kind of still don't really know. Um, I don't really quite know how everybody else is so sure about all this. Do we have the uh, uh, thing from Georgia here? Let's show this on the screen. So this is a very cryptic looking tweet from Georgia. The caption just shows 2022 with kind of an investigo- uh, investigatory uh emoji type thing here and the numbers 2022 are kind of flashing and changing and what the internet tells us on this is is this is a suggestion by uga they are doing something that fans have wanted for a long time which is kind of a return to like a block letter format for the numbers on the georgia jersey as opposed to kind of the i guess a little bit more modern look that georgia's been showing the last couple of years this is a little bit of a you know kind of a throwback to a, a style that's once again popular kind of the block style that maybe georgia's worn in previous years as i said before i don't know if i'm just getting really really old or if i'm just kind of losing touch here but I don't quite know how everyone was so sure that this is what this tweet was. I have every reason to believe that is what it is, just given the fact there had been a lot of talk about this anyway. Uh, but it kind of scares me to think that um, that I'm getting this out of touch, that even after knowing what the video tweet is apparently about for George, I still don't quite fully understand it, still don't quite fully know it. But it does appear there's a little bit of a change on the horizon here for the Georgia uniforms. Kind of a fun drop there from Georgia yesterday. So for those of you who are into the uniform stuff and around here we kind of are, a little bit of a hint there that Georgia may be bringing out a slightly new look for its uniforms for the upcoming season. Still no word if they ever plan on bringing back the truly shiny silver britches, but maybe the return to the block letters means that maybe one day we'll get a chance to see a little bit more of a silvery hue on those uh, Georgia silver britches there uh, once again. But kind of a cool drop from Georgia and actually a really pretty big response to fans from this from yesterday. So kind of enjoyed seeing all of that. All right, before we're done with the program today, there was big news yesterday in college sports that, in one respect, has really very little to do with Georgia. And in another respect, I think could potentially have a lot to do with Georgia because it's actually not that dissimilar to something else that's already happened at Georgia recently. And it's the kind of thing when weird stuff happens around college sports, we should probably ask, well, does that mean that something weird is going on behind the scenes? And I think there's a chance that might be true, that there's a very different conversation sometimes happening away from social media than the one that's actually happening on social media. I want to make sure we notice that when that's the case. So we'll do that here before we're done on today's program. And hopefully at that point in time, it'll all make sense to you. And uh, a lot of other stuff there as well. Very interesting 
Uh, comment from former LSU coach Ed Orgeron, really doing no favors to his uh, the guy that's following in his footsteps there at LSU, Brian Kelly. We'll give you some of that. I think you'll enjoy that and a whole lot more interesting stuff on the way. But for now, big breakdown of G-Day from the guys who are catching passes. Big day for Eric Gilbert and so much more. Let's cover all of that right now with our good friend, the former Georgia wide receiver Terrence Edwards here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Mary Weatherin Tharp. Glad to have him, all of you with us there as well. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. We will say hello to Terrence Edwards here. Always glad to have him as a part of our program. We'll also take care of a little bit of business there, too. Um, for a while, I think we've been kind of wanting to kind of change out our picture that for those that watch on video uh, that we show of uh, Terrence Edwards. And today we actually debut the brand new photo. It's an action shot of Terrence doing his coaching work right there in the bu- the bubble. You can see he's very serious and getting it done there. So, uh, Terrence, nice to debut the uh, new photo for you there, doing what you uh, do best, what you love to do. That's out there working with those wide receivers. We kind of get you in action here with this uh, new photo, and I think it's a great new look for you here on our show. So uh, I guess I just wanted to make you aware of the fact that the folks who are watching you on the screen are experiencing a new version of you here today. Oh, I, I truly appreciate it, and I'm looking at the picture myself, and it's a it's a nice one. I'm, I'm I'm very serious when it comes to training these kids and getting them to understand the nuances of playing position that I played and love. I like that. That's uh that's great to hear. And I guess something else to do from kind of a housekeeping standpoint before we move on, we were given some intel yesterday that yesterday was your birthday. Is that correct? Uh, happy birthday, belatedly. So, if that is indeed the case, was yesterday your birthday? Yes, indeed, uh, and I, I, I may make a lot of people feel old, but I turned forty-three yesterday. How about that, Terrence Edwards? Now the age of forty-three, looking very good for forty-three, we must say. So, happy uh, belated birthday to you, sir, and I uh, appreciate you being on the program. Obviously, I want to talk a lot about the guys who caught passes on G Day. I thought, from that standpoint, it was actually a really good show on Saturday. Very entertaining to see Georgia get so many guys involved. I guess let me begin though with the guy that you probably know the best of all, and that's uh, Eric Gilbert. Um, you know the touchdowns that he scores, the the weapon that he proved to be in the red zone, really echoing the praise that he had, I think justifiably gotten during spring practice. You know, you'd seen it yourself behind closed doors. You'd certainly worked with him some here recently, so you had a glimmer of that, glimpse of that yourself. But for all of us to get a chance to see it on Saturday on TV, those of us lucky enough to be in the stadium, what did you make of the show that Gilbert uh, put on there for the G Day crowd? Well, I was very happy, uh, just not for about his performance. I was just happy that he's back and been able to perform and do what he loves to do in front of a crowd. I think the Georgia faithful has been anticipating just to see what he looked like in person. I think he showed a small glimpse of what he could bring to the Georgia offense. Yeah, I mean, I think that's indeed the case. And, you know, we've talked about this before, you know, Terrence, this is a guy that, you know, on a show like this, we've been hyping now for a number of years. And, you know, as a high school recruit, it seemed like while George was in the mix, you know, he just wanted to go try his hand somewhere else for a while. And then as a transfer, it appeared that he might go to Florida and not go to Georgia, or then he steps away from football. And, you know, maybe there were some Georgia fans who were somewhere along the way just kind of decided that whatever conversation was going to take place regarding Gilbert and Georgia, it just wasn't really real or just not really going to ever come to fruition. But, I mean, I think you saw on Saturday that the conversation that you and I have been having on the show we've been having about Gilbert, it very much is real. And as you look forward to the upcoming season on the potential list of playmakers there for Georgia, 
I mean, I think you have to consider Gilbert a, a big part of that conversation. Obviously, doing it against a team in a different color uniform is different than doing it in a G-Day situation. But this is a guy who you know showed you once again that he's got a real nose for the football. And as you start to think about you know who can make an offensive impact for Georgia in 2022, Gilbert's got to be on that list, doesn't he? Oh, most definitely. I think he's a guy that – just put this in perspective, B.A. He has not played a live – competitive football game in a year and a half and he goes out and put up that performance so just imagine uh with a continued learning of offense with a continued sprint a uh, summer practice fall fall camp uh i think he's going to be ready and and i think george is going to have to find ways to get him the ball along with brock and all the other playmakers he's just another uh tool in in the tool shed that Monkins has the ability to find ways to get the football in just think about it. He's been out and haven't played a competitive football game in a year and a half. And to go out and perform the way he did, uh, that just shows you everything that was reading, everything that we spoke about is true. Yep. Uh, I, I kid it with him. Uh, Reese, I haven't had a chance to talk to him, but I talked to his mom, Reese, and I was like, uh, his pass, pass catching looked great, but it was one play I've seen him trying to block Jalen Carter, and it didn't go well. But it do not go well with a lot of people <laughs> when right. trying to block Jalen Carter. So, just that one thing that I would kid with him about when I talked to him. But overall, I, mean, I was just pleased with his performance. I think that's uh, really great. One more thing on this. I want to talk about some other guys that had big days there on Saturday. I say this half kiddingly, but also half seriously, that there still seems to be some confusion about how Gilbert pronounces his first name. Clearly, Georgia calls him Arik. That's what the pronunciation guide online says. That's what Kirby, I think, calls him. The The PA announcer calls him Arik. And yet, I still hear from people from time to time who say, "Well, actually, no. It's it's Eric. Uh, it's it's uh, it's Eric. It's not Arik. You know, even though Georgia kind of uses more of the Arik pronunciation. What does he prefer to be called? Is it Eric or is it Arik? Well, his mom called him Eric, okay. so we we like to get her on the show so she could clear up all this skepticism or have his pronunciation uh, one day. But his mom pronounced it Eric. Well, if his mom says Eric, then that's what we're going to be saying there as well because we want to keep uh, her happy for sure. Mama has to always be happy. So around here, we're going to make sure we do all that. And thanks for uh, giving us some clarification there on that. Um, other things that I thought really funny – or not funny, but fun on Saturday. Dominic Blaylock coming back from injury, yeah. you know, catching a lot of balls. And you've told us before just how much you're rooting for him because anytime you go through that long of an injury recovery, it just takes a toll on you uh, emotionally, psychologically. And yet in Blaylock's case – he seems to have been steadfastly dedicated to himself the entire time there, and it seems to be paying off. That's another guy, Terrence, I have to consider as a real weapon for Georgia. I don't know what I thought he might be doing uh, this spring, just given the fact that he'd been through so much. But, boy, I sure did like what I saw from him on Saturday. Oh, most definitely. Uh, he's a guy that you know, I've known for a while. Uh, I've, I've been fascinated with this guy since he was at Walton High School, and now he's you know came into Georgia wearing my number number eight. Yeah, uh, had a fantastic freshman year. Uh, unfortunately, the last two years he's been riddled with injuries. Confidence was shaking a little bit, trying to get confidence back in that knee and both knees. So now this performance, then I think he's just going to take another step toward bringing back the, the old Dom that we saw uh, as a freshman. And I think uh, with losing Jermaine, I think this is the guy. That could lose, that can that could get some of the sting off losing Jermaine because this guy is, to me, uh, could be the second or third best receiver we have just in the totality of the position. 
with being able to run routes, being able to catch in traffic, being able to run after the catch. That's all the things we saw as a freshman. Now he's much older, much wiser, and, and understand the college game. So I, I think he's going to have a big year in, in the rotation. Uh, we, we have a lot. I don't know what the rotation would be, but if he gets his opportunity, he will be a guy that help us win games. And I'd put, you know, Kiaris Jackson in that category a little bit. This guy who played for Georgia a year ago certainly did a lot of special team stuff, but as a receiver, you know, he didn't do much in that regard. And injury was, you know, kind of the, you know, thought to be the reason why. Of course, in 2020, he had, you know, back to back 100 yard receiving games really early, early in the year, proved himself to be a weapon there at the time. That's another guy coming back from injury here that I think you have to put in the category of, wow, I think Kiaris is one of those guys that can also be a pretty big factor for Georgia this year, too. And I know that's a guy you know very well. Oh, most definitely. Kiaris, just, he played hurt last year a lot. You know, he had uh, knee surgery and in the offseason and, and really didn't gain his explosions back to uh, the end of the season. Now, if you saw him in the spring game, you saw the old Kiaris. You saw him catching a deep over route. And uh, about a 30-yard game, you saw him work the middle of the field and, and got hit pretty pretty good. Uh, would have been a helmet to helmet, but he held on. That's what he does. That's what he do. He he works the middle of the field. He works the hatches, and he's one of those guys that is not afraid of contact. That's one of those Peach County, uh, Middle Georgia kids that I'm always going to be in yeah. favor of. Oh, yeah. I'm from Middle Georgia. We just tough football players, and that's what he is. And um. Uh, you know, he, he, he is the bona fide leader of that group. Um, so I, I expect him to go out and be the uh, 2019 Kiers, uh, 2020 Kiers, yeah. uh that we saw, uh, then the 2021 Kiers. There was also uh, Oscar Delp. And, you know, listen, one of the things I try to be on guard against Terrence is any time a narrative just seems a little too perfect. And, you know, as a recruit, there was a lot of discussion of, ooh, Delp could be the next uh, Brock Bowers for Georgia. This is a guy that's coming to Georgia because – of the success that Bowers had had and kind of envisioned himself in a similar role. And I'm always, you know, careful to like jump into something like that too quickly because college is hard. And when you make that transition, there's oftentimes some growing pains. And listen, I'm by nowhere near ready to say, oh, Delp's going to go out there and have the same level of success that Brock Bowers had because, you know, that's, that's a very high bar just given how good Bowers was a year ago. But Delp was probably more comfortable on Saturday than I would typically expect a uh, incoming true freshman early enrollee to be in a situation like that very easily getting open very easily catching the football targeted a ton there uh he's only a freshman and george is very deep at tight end but man it seems like you've got to try to find a role for oscar delp too based on what you saw on saturday oh most definitely uh would i say that he could go out and do the exact same thing that brock did last season i wouldn't go that far but would he be a, a special piece of the offense if he was the main target? Yes, he's that special of an athlete. Um, would he get the opportunity to show his, his, his talent this year? But with, with Eric, with Oscar, with Darnell, like he, he has three good guys in front of him, but I just think Georgia has to find a role for him. Is that, you know, special teams? Is that 14 packages at four times? Like, he has to have a role because he's that special of a talent. I don't think Georgia really would see that talent for another about another year when that room becomes his. Right now, that room is is just so deep that he's gonna just be stuck behind some really really talented guys. But he is and showcase his talents on Saturday. Something else from Saturday, and this is just a moment, man. 
it does kind of remind you of what might be in store for Georgia this season, and it's something you and I have talked about before. You know, Arian Smith gets open on a long, deep route, really using his speed just to kind of run past the secondary there. And for all that Georgia has had at receiver, and, you know, it's had kind of a lot at times the last couple of years, that blazing speedster hasn't always been what Georgia's had. You know, Arian's dealt with his share of injuries. But when he was healthy on Saturday and doing what he did, I think it is a reminder. I think you and I even maybe talked about this last week that all of a sudden now you've got other receivers who have an opportunity to play off that speed, to allow Arian to take the top off a of defense while they kind of work underneath. And Kirby even kind of addressed that, that he's got that elite skill that they got to try to find a way to cultivate, and he's got to cultivate the rest of his skill set around that. But not everybody has that. God just gave this an unequal measure to uh, certain folks, and Arian's got more of it than most. And Georgia using that speed, I'd say Chandler Smith's kind of that same category, although we didn't see him on Saturday. But Georgia's got more speed to work with in the wide receiver room because of these two Smiths than what it's had in previous years. And it is fun to consider the kind of impact that could make on the Georgia offense. Uh, most definitely. Uh, when you have a guy that's truly, truly a 10-flat, 100-meter guy, but is a football player. Arian Smith is not a track guy that's playing football. He's a football guy that can run track, which he does for Georgia as well. With that speed, uh, he has an opportunity to affect defenses in a way without even touching the football. It opens up the run game. It opens up the pass game for everyone else. And if you don't respect that, then we have the ability to throw the ball downfield. Uh, but we have to utilize what God has give, given him. It's that his straight speed and um, once teams start really to respect that if you don't put another safety over the top, we will take a chance and throw him the football. And if he catches a few like he did Saturday, that just opened up offense tremendously. Uh, underneath pass catching, just not bringing that eighth guy in the box uh, that takes to have to stay deep. So it just opened up the offense. And like you said, Chandler Smith is another guy once he gets completely healthy. If you just imagine you just put those two guys on the field at one time just for a special, a special package, just run deep to open up. You can really see a special, special offense. And, and Aaron, I think, is really going to have a big year uh, if he can stay healthy. And, I, and I'm going to put it out there right now that he will stay healthy this year. It's great to hear. Just forward thinking. Uh, it's great to hear. We'll finish with this. Uh, how about the guys delivering the football? You know, we saw Stetson Bennett throw a few touchdowns, threw a couple of interceptions. We saw, I think, Carson Beck and Brock Vandergriff both have their moments at times on the second team uh, offense. But I guess both guys struggled a little bit while also playing with the first team. Uh, what did you think of the overall performance from quarterbacks on Saturday? Uh, I thought they did well. And I'm just going to focus on uh, Carson. And I think Carson looked very comfortable. I thought he looked very relaxed and understand and understood the assignment. I think he understands the playbook very well. And he, he understands progressions and understands where the ball should go before the ball even snaps. I know it's a spring game, but I'm not, I don't care about the numbers. I just care how he looked, and he didn't look jittery. He I think he got the ball out um, on time, and he made plays when he had opportunities to make plays. And he displayed um, on that one pass to Aaron Smith, the big arm that yeah, he had. He did. So uh, that, that, that number two battle with him and Brock, I think, is, is going to be ongoing. Not with uh, Vandegrift, uh, it's going to be ongoing throughout the fall. And uh, I think that's the most important battle we got going on right now is because Stetson is the quarterback. Um, it's just that number two who's going to be that number two guy because I tell people all the time, 
and I'm happy. I don't know if we're going to talk about it, but I'm happy. Mims decided to come back because oh, yeah. you're one play away. You're one play away from being a star. Yeah. So uh, with the number two guys, you're one play away from being the guy. So continue just to work. Uh, keep your head down. Uh, figure it out. And when your time comes, it comes. I want to ask you another question about quarterback, but since you brought it up, any other thoughts you want to share with us on the uh, Mims news? Obviously been big news coming back. I think it's clearly good news for George. Anything else you want to add on that? I just think that – I think it's – he's – in my opinion, he shouldn't have left or put his name in the portal. I don't know what reason, so I'm not going to speculate. Just from an outside looking in, somebody who's played the game, Broderick uh, uh, Jones is probably going to be starting left tackle. And McClendon, who's been a three-year starter, is going to be the right tackle. You are one play away from being a starter. So I, I just don't think these guys really truly understand. I just think they want immediate success. B, I talk about this all the time. Look at all the guys that was on the defense last year that's going to get drafted in the first round. Yep. They all waited their turn yep. to be this transcendent defense of the best defense we've ever seen. They waited their turn behind good football players. So if we can wait our turn and we can hold out, if we can see the bigger picture, you can do and accomplish everything you set out to do once you sign that letter of intent. I just think it was the right move because he's one play away from being a starter. And I'm just I'm happy he decided to come back. I think that's exactly right. Let me just go back to the quarterback thing just for a second to finish up here. Um, a couple things. You know, I think my takeaway is it seems like Carson may be a little ahead of Brock based on what you saw on Saturday, uh, maybe even more than a little bit ahead, but that's kind of the consensus. I'm curious if you agree with that. And do you make much of uh, if, if anything about the fact that Stetson's numbers weren't great on Saturday? Completion percentage did throw a couple of uh, interceptions. Uh, you know, what do you make of the uh, numbers for Bennett on Saturday not exactly being stellar? I don't take too much into numbers in the spring game. I mean, we have seen guys that light it up in the spring game, and once we get to the season, it's a different ball game. It, it, it's it's a, it's a bona fide scrimmage. It's uh, something for the fans to see. I think that uh, the coaches will go back and, and look at the film and just see what worked and what didn't work, what he tried to do. He may was out there working on some of the things just to refine his game for the season. So I'm not going to take too much into that. I think uh, once the season starts, he would be a uh, more careful with the football. Uh, I just don't want him to play freely. And when I say that, he doesn't have a JT Daniels behind him that fans were called for. I just now don't want him to get complacent like I don't have anyone pushing me. They're not going to put Beck or Brock in even if I'm struggling. So I just want him to continue to have that fire as that walk-on that wanted to be a Georgia starting quarterback since he was a little kid. Continue to have that fire because he still doesn't matter winning a championship or not. He's still going to be an underdog and people still going to want to replace him. Uh, really good stuff, uh, Terrence. Thanks so much. And remind folks, uh, you know, speaking of the uh, photo we were showing a little earlier, uh, great, great uh, image of you there doing the uh, coaching work that you're famous for. If folks want to get a part of that, the uh, Terrence Edwards Wide Receiver Academy. As we head through the spring and then towards the summer, how can they uh, get in touch and get some of that expert training that you provide? Well, B, I'm gonna I double dip, so I'm gonna go ahead and tell you before we do all that. And someone in the comments asked my thoughts on what Aaron Murray said about Jermaine Burton. Okay. I'm just telling you so everyone, everyone can hear. I disagree with Aaron Murray. I think Jermaine is uh, different from Jameis Williamson. I think Jermaine is a very explosive receiver. He averaged 19 yards to catch last year on 26 catches. 
imagine if he had, had 40 catches, he would have had over 1,000 yards. Yep. So averaging 19 yards a kick, everyone can't do that. Do I think he's like the model of, of Waddle or uh, Devontae Smith? No, but I think he's a bigger, faster version of Mixie. So can he be a number one receiver? I've said that since he's coming out of high school. We are looking at him in a scope. I think a lot of people looking at him in a scope of he left, he's a trader, and not give him a full evaluation. We're playing on emotion and not just saying, because this was not said before he left. Yes, he's had injury, and that is a concern that he hasn't played it for a year. But given his numbers last year with 26 catches, like at 500 yards, what if he had 40 catches? At 19 yards a kick. That's over a thousand yards. So I disagree, with Aaron. I think if he is a number one receiver with Jacore Brooks, I think that's those two are very good. Are they the first round picks that they had with Devontae Waddle, Jerry Judy? Probably not. And everyone knows how I feel about Jermaine, but can he be a number one receiver there? Sure, he can. If he stays healthy, I would guarantee that he will get over a thousand yards of the way they're going to use him. So that's my thoughts. Uh, and I disagree, Aaron, and, and that's fine. And that's, that, no, that's my opinion. Yeah, exactly. I'm happy to, that you expressed it. I, I didn't get to see a ton of the Alabama spring game on Saturday for obvious reasons. Um, saw some highlights, but uh, what did, did you get a chance to watch? What did you think of how uh, Jermaine looked in that Alabama offense on Saturday? I didn't get opportunity to watch the spring game. And uh, I just say this, I have a really, really good friend that's on that staff, and he's conveyed to me that, Jermaine is the best receiver that they have, and okay. he's been doing a tremendous job over there. Uh, the scrimmage before their uh, spring game, he had seven catches, and apparently, from what I was told, he had a 98-yard touchdown reception wow. in that game. Wow. So, you know, we, we're going to talk about him because I think a lot of Georgia fans is emotional right now, and rightfully so. But if you just step back and just evaluate the kid off his skill set, do I think he's Jerry Drew, Devontae? Uh, Smith, Jer- Waddle, no, but I do think he's a bigger, faster version of uh, of, of Mitchie, and that worked. Mitchie had 1,200 yards last year. Do I think Jermaine can eclipse that? I do, but do I think he's those other guys? I wouldn't put him in that. Devontae Smith is, to me, is probably the best receiver in SEC history, so that does not come along very often, but I do think he's a, a very, very, very good wide receiver that can uh, put up the same numbers those guys have in the past. That's just, you know, just looking at from a skill set position, not an emotional position. Terrence, I'm really glad you expressed that opinion. Uh, obviously, your words carry a lot of weight there, and I'm uh, glad that you did that and give you a chance now to remind folks how they can get in touch with you online. Uh, you can find me on all social media at Terrence Elwood Wide Receiver Academy. Terrence, that's excellent stuff. Thank you so much. We'll look forward to getting a chance to speak to you very soon. Thank you. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. So a little bit of context there. Yesterday on the show, played some audio of former Georgia quarterback Aaron Murray, who's been kind of hard on the Georgia wide receivers for a couple of years. That's been a little bit of a thing for him. And when Aaron was on the show, he you know kind of went into some more detail about that. But Murray in a different show, different interview, questioning Alabama's chances of being as explosive offensively if Jermaine Burton was the leading receiver and that's what Terrence was responding to there now listen around here this is what we do we are a platform for opinions and 
we're going to bring on former players like Terrence Edwards, and they're going to use their expertise to give their opinion, and it's valuable. And as Terrence said, listen, we're not always going to agree with each other on everything, right? Like, there's going to be, you know, uh, you know, guy that thinks one thing, guy that thinks different, and that's why we don't get um, too upset about anything around here. It's just, a, it's just simply a matter, uh, you know, of of expressing points of view, expressing opinions. We all love football. We, uh, you know. In the case of most of the people who come on this show, want to see Georgia do well, uh, want to see guys that we know do well, and yet sometimes that leads to some differences of opinions. And this being a platform where very smart guys, such as Terrence Edwards, such as what I would say Aaron Murray is, uh, very smart guys having a chance to express their point of view, we are going to be a platform to do that. And that's why I love having Terrence Edwards on the show here today obviously also you know knows Jermaine Burton very well and that's one of the things that I think also makes you a really good coach is that when you do you know stick up for your guys that's what we want coaches to do we want coaches to to be there for their guys more than just a transactional relationship what can you do for me it's what can I do for you throughout the time the entire course of your life that's what good coaching is all about and we think Terrence is obviously a great coach there as well so really really strong stuff on a number of subjects there from Terrence Edwards a moment ago. We'll transition to our SEC through here. I actually have a little bit more on the Alabama offense in a moment. Before that, let me remind you, we're also getting ready to transition to the high seas next week on board Independence of the Seas with Royal Caribbean cruising on uh, Independ- Independence of the Seas. That's ship look going out of uh, Port Canaveral there, which is really an easy drive from the Atlanta area. I'm actually really excited about it. It's always easy to kind of get to Port Canaveral, which is one of the reasons why I love sailing on Royal Caribbean ships going out of Port Canaveral. It's kind of funny. When we were um, in Miami for the uh, for the Orange Bowl, we actually stayed in Fort Lauderdale, which is like really right next to Port Everglades, which is a giant port where a lot of ships go out of, and that's kind of cool. But when I uh, when I sail, I typically go out of Port Canaveral because it's right there near Orlando. Uh, I like going by the Orlando theme parks and things like that. And then just, you know, getting on board the uh, Royal Caribbean cruise ship. That's always a uh, ton of fun. And we're going to Nassau. We're going to Perfect Day Coco Cay. I just can't wait. I'm so excited about it. And I wish all of you could be on board. I've seen some social media chatter as of late from folks who will be with us, which everyone could be. But if you can't be on this one with us, make your plans to be on your own Royal Caribbean cruise ship here coming up very soon because I think you're going to really enjoy it. I do. Whether it's the specialty restaurants on board, the any number of great lounges to enjoy a great cocktail. We're actually talking about some... (laughs) some cocktail stuff before the show began today with our video audience or really whatever else enjoying uh the great private island that is perfect day coco Cay. there's ice skating on board there's just uh, there's the flow rider which is kind of like the uh the simulated surfing situation you know some of the ships even have like uh you know the, just the 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 ripcord type stuff there's there all kinds of really fun things that you can do so check it out today our friends at the cruise and vacation authority can help you get booked up on a great Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. All right, let me uh, run through things here just for a moment. So Ed Orgeron, the former LSU coach, was on a Jacksonville radio station this week, and the subject came up of uh, Brian Kelly at LSU. Now, there's like a longstanding tradition in the world of, this used to be true in politics, I don't know if it's quite as true as it used to be, but it used to be one of those things of, hey, if you were president, when you're an ex-president, you kind of, for the most part, just sort of stay out of the spotlight. You don't really say a, a whole lot always. 
Uh, and sometimes coach is the same way. Like you don't hear Mark Rick commenting a lot on Kirby Smart. It's one of the things that doesn't really go on. You don't have, have a lot of commentary from the guy that used to be in the job about the guy that's currently in the job. But Ed Orgeron's a little bit of an unorthodox figure uh, fella, and so he's not going to necessarily play by that rule a little bit. So Orgeron is on uh, 1010XL in Jacksonville yesterday. Uh, Matt Hayes is the show host there. And here's the quote from Orgeron about expectations at LSU. He says, I don't know if it's fair or not, but national championship is the expectation at LSU. He says, great players, great support. Then he goes on to say this on the radio interview in Jacksonville yesterday. You should be able to win a national championship in three years. You're talking about doing no favors whatsoever to Brian Kelly. Now, I'm not quite so sure that Orgeron isn't correct on that when you look at how quickly uh, Nick Saban won one, how quickly Les Miles won one, and then how quickly Orgeron himself won one. That's all about that sort of like three-year type number. So, so based on recent history, that's correct. But the SEC is not easy these days. Uh, you've got number one recruiting class at Texas A&M. That's a rival of, of LSU. You've got Alabama, who's obviously, at least for now, not going anywhere. More on that in a moment, by the way. But at least for now, they're not going anywhere. Uh, that's a big thorn in LSU side. The reigning national champion also exists in the SEC, too, on the east side there with Georgia. So what Brian Kelly steps into there at the SEC is already a very tough job. And Ed Orgeron, who still has his own you know, list of admirers down there in Louisiana, boy, Orgeron makes that much tougher saying, starting now, you got 36 months win a national championship. Now, listen, in most situations, I do think LSU could be three years away from a national championship. They're, they're just that kind of program. They are, very, you know, a very resource program. They have that kind of opportunity. I've told you, though, recently that the one thing I am curious about is, does Brian Kelly's personality, the quirks therein, does that up in what otherwise might be a normal progress towards a national championship? Is, in other words, Kelly too much of an egomaniac for the typical process to play out at a place like LSU? We're not quite so sure about that yet. But uh, three years from now, having won a national championship in the current SEC seems like a very hard thing to do because you know it's not happening this year, which means now you're down to two years. I mean, do you really see it happening for him there in two years after this year? Boy, I'm not sure I do. I'm not sure Ed Orgeron does either, and that's why I think he's giving himself a little bit of rope there on on that. That is uh, kind of a mess. So we've got updated Heisman odds out. These come from FanDuel, and I think there's something interesting to consider here. So if you look at the numbers here for a moment, you've got C.J. Stroud. He's at 2-1 to one right now. That's actually the betting favorite, according to FanDuel. Last year's winner, Bryce Young's at 4-1. to one. Kayla, And what's funny is when you look at these Heisman odds, the real challenge is, can I tell you which team all these guys now play for? Caleb Williams, now at USC, he's 12 to 1. DJ Uyunglele, the Clemson quarterback's 30 to 1. Tyler Van Dyke at Miami's 30 to 1. Jackson Dart, formerly of USC, now at Ole Miss, he's 30 to 1. Quinn Ewers, now back at Texas, is 40 to 1. Keaton Slovis, recently at USC, uh, now at Pitt at 40 to 1. So, by the way, that backyard brawl to start the season between Pitt and West Virginia, they're renewing their rivalry for the first time in a while. You've got both former USC quarterbacks doing battle there, at least the expectation will be, with JT now at West Virginia. 
and uh, Slovis now at Pitt. Dylan Gabriel, who's now in Oklahoma, he's 40 to 1. The old Oklahoma quarterback, Spencer Rattler, is now at South Carolina. He's 50 to 1. Then uh, B. John Robinson, obviously, the Texas running backs at 50 to 1. And Will Levis, the Kentucky quarterback, by the way, shows up here at 50 to 1. So a lot of interesting Heisman odds, a lot of quarterbacks now in new places kind of populating that. But you see last year's winner, Bryce Young, uh, the number two betting favorite at 4 to 1. And I told you this yesterday, and it's just important to, to keep this in mind that Young has got a lot of history working against him for the upcoming season. Now, just because something hasn't happened or hasn't happened very much or hasn't happened in a long time doesn't mean it won't happen this upcoming year. But just keep this in mind. We've only had back-to-back Heisman winners once. That was uh, Archie Griffith. That's before I was born. So the idea that Young's going to try to come back and have a Heisman caliber season again, history suggests that he probably won't. And then you've also got the notion of being a shortlist betting favorite for the Heisman Trophy that kind of works against him there as well as the number two betting favorite I think I have these uh this data correct I believe since like say 2009 we've only had one instance of one of the top two betting favorites in the preseason going on to win the award I believe it's Marcus Mariota uh, a few years ago for the last year young did win the heisman trophy as the number three betting favorite which hasn't happened a lot either so last year is kind of a short list favorite he did make good on the heisman but being the number one favorite the number two favorite historically has not really been a strong indicator that you actually would win the award we've got more guys kind of coming from well off the radar winning the award than we do obvious favorites winning it so what does that mean for alabama if it doesn't have a heisman caliber quarterback performance I think it does bring in a discussion of is somehow not through the fault of any one player and maybe not even because a player plays poorly. Sometimes it's just injury or whatever else. But, you know, Aaron Murray opened the door yesterday for the possibility that this isn't as explosive an Alabama offense. Whatever the reasons are, history would suggest that sometimes these quarterbacks do take a little bit of a step back in that year after winning the award, but also coming back or starting a year as the odds on betting favorite. Sometimes things just have a way of working against them. So keep that in mind for Bryce Young here for the upcoming season. He could upend all that history because, you know, the trend alone isn't enough to suggest it'll continue. But there were plenty of arguments to be made for guys who were a part of that trend in recent years there, too. So just something to keep in mind there. Last night, obviously, the big news on Twitter and across the sports world was the retirement of Jay Wright, the very successful Naismith Basketball Hall of Famer, um, two-time national champion there at Villanova. He retires. We'll have more on that for you just here in a moment. But I think uh, some of the chatter I saw online after all of this was, well, gosh, if, if Jay Wright's retiring when you lost Jim Beheim and Mike Krzyzewski out of the college basketball ranks this past year, who's going to be the next big name to retire? And it seems like a lot of attention immediately went to Alabama's Nick Saban because Saban's a decade older than Wright is. Saban's 70, Wright just 60. And it reminds me of something I've told you on the show before. I'm a big believer that the Arch Manning recruitment is a little bit of a bellwether for the future of college football. Um, you know, you look at the three teams that are thought to be the most involved in Manning's recruitment, Texas, Georgia, Alabama. Texas has been a drama farm. If Manning goes to Texas, that would be an indicator that someone who's pretty smart, Manning, family who's pretty savvy, they believe that's about to change. And all of a sudden, all the stuff that's kind of kept Texas from being back, which is kind of a very 
sort of popular you know narrative that maybe that's getting ready to evolve. If Manning goes there, there must be some reason to believe that. And if he doesn't go to Texas, then I would say that's a bellwether that the stuff that's plagued Texas in the past is likely to continue to plague it in the future. That's one of the reasons a guy like Manning might want to stay away. So then you do the comparison between Georgia and Alabama. Georgia has had some success recruiting quarterbacks, but not the same level of success that programs like Alabama have had. And so if Manning spurns Georgia, that's also a bellwether that whatever issues Georgia's had at the quarterback position, they're likely to linger a little bit into the future there as well. However, if the opposite happens, if Manning were to choose Georgia over Alabama, it's a signal that Georgia, much like Saban was around this same time in his tenure as Alabama coach, is now ready to recruit the quarterback position with the same proficiency it recruits every other position there as well. And then beyond that, you've heard me say this before. You know, Alabama has kind of become the obvious choice for top quarterbacks, Bryce Young and Tua Tungavailoa. You know, in recent years, that's just been what the program's kind of attracted. A guy like Manning almost seems destined to end up at a place like Alabama, but what if he doesn't? Maybe that's because he just likes what he sees at Georgia. We have every reason to believe that's indeed what uh, what Arch kind of thinks. He does seemingly really enjoy Athens. But also, is it a little bit of a signal, as some folks were kind of suggesting last night, that maybe they know the end is just near for Nick Saban, that a couple of years ago, winning with an Arch Manning was just kind of the thing that Alabama would do, the same way it just kind of stepped up and won with a guy like Bryce Young, because if you're a great quarterback, why wouldn't you want to play at a program that had great resources all around you, all the other uh, you know, great players at the other positions there too. But if a guy like Manning says, no, I actually want to go with the younger coach and Kirby Smart, the more up-and-coming program at Georgia as opposed to the more established program in Alabama, once again, I think you have to consider that potentially a little bit of a bellwether. Maybe the Manning family just knows the end is actually near for Nick Saban, and that's why maybe they decide to go somewhere else. Just something to consider. Uh, you can kind of file that away. By the way, speaking of the, the Jay Wright thing here for a moment, let me transition to that here on our program here today. So I think it's, uh, and, and by the way, it's Dog Nation Daily presented by Meriwether and Tharp. So I think when you see something weird happen in college sports, I think you have to step up and ask the question of, is there something weird going on that's caused this weird thing to happen? And I talked about this last night on, on Twitter there a little bit. There is a prevailing narrative that seems to exist on social media that all of the changes that are taking place in college athletics are almost all good. Transfer portal, it's about time. NIL, it's about time. And this stuff is largely celebrated on social media. That's a very popular narrative that exists there. And anytime someone kind of runs against that narrative, like Dick Vitale the other day or, or you know something along those lines, there's usually a pretty swift rebuke from what I would kind of think of as almost like a social media mob. It's not as serious as some of the other stuff that you see, but there's a, usually a pretty swift rebuke on that. The the, the social media consensus is that all the changes taking place in college athletics are all for the good. And I think the point I would make on this is, is there's a conversation taking place away from social media that is far different than that. And there are some people that care about college athletics. Some of them are coaches. Some of them are media types or whatever else. They're not quite so sure that all of the changes that are taking place for college sports are for the good. In fact, I think they're really concerned that right now that there's a couple of very disturbing, alarming trends in college athletics. And I would suggest that a guy like Jay Wright retiring at 60 is an example of that. And, you know, some people rightly and I think fairly asked would be a you can't know that Jay Wright is retiring because he doesn't like transfer portal. He doesn't like NIL. You can't know that to be the case. And that's certainly fair. But actions speak. 
when a guy like Wright retires this early, that's not what people who are as successful as he is typically do. And by the way, I'll also point out that Gary Parrish at CBSSports.com has a column up today that kind of echoes the same sentiment that I'm expressing right now of it ought to be concerning when guys like this, as successful as Wright is, are walking away from the sport. We've also seen examples of this in SEC football here recently, too. Uh, think about the Auburn offensive coordinator who just kind of decided, oh, last minute, college sports may not be for me, or Lane Kiffin's brother at the last minute the other day, ooh, maybe I don't really want to be in college. I'm going to go back to the NFL. But there seems to be a little bit of a brain drain going on from college athletics right now. Assistant coaches that have a choice leaving college football to go to the NFL college basketball head coaches in some cases going to the NBA that's what John Beeline did a couple of years ago or retiring and it's one thing for a Jim Beheim or Mike Krzyzewski retired they're pretty old dudes it's another thing for a guy like Jay Wright who's not really an age we think of as retirement age stepping away it's the kind of thing that ought to give us pause it's the kind of thing that ought to give us concern and it's not that dissimilar to something that's recently happened at Georgia Matt Luke made a similar decision it's somewhat similar to step away from football apparently he doesn't have any aspirations of ever working again he's made enough money so he doesn't have to but once again it's still a little bit of a, a young age to be retiring and is college sports better without guys like matt luke in it i'd suggest not is college sports better without guys like jay wright in it i'd certainly suggest not in the case of that sport because wright's one of the best to do it um and kirby smart by the way has talked about this too recently you know been asked questions about the the pressure facing coaches here today and once again jay wright in his own words hasn't you know illuminated any of this as the reason why he's retiring but when a guy makes an unorthodox step to step away at 60 i think you have to left to, to ask the question of what might cause a guy to want to do that and some recent words from kirby smart at least give us some consideration on that so in light of a lot of guys leaving college sports here recently, assistant coaches in the football world, head coaches in the basketball world. Let's consider the words here of Kirby Smart just for a minute. What's the best path forward? What needs to change for the betterment of the sport? It worries me, I'll be real honest with you, where the game of college football is going. First concern I have, the best leaders and the best men to run it and be organized with it are leaving. The best coaches are going to the NFL because they get more time with their families. They won't know part of NIL, portal, constant recruiting. And you say, well, why not? Go live it and see how long you want to do it. It's not what it used to be. And I see coaches left and right, you know a lot of them, that have stepped out of this game that are saying, I'm done. Good men, great leaders, they don't want to be a part of it. That concerns me for the future of it. Where's it going? And I'm not talking about NIL or Portal in particular. I'm just saying the amount of time. best thing the NCAA did was give February where coaches couldn't recruit and bring people on campus. But I think you've got to look at the calendar and say what's best for everybody because the amount of salaries that have gone up have made it so competitive that it's nonstop. At the top, it is relentless and nonstop. And if you can't cut it, you'll be gone pretty quick. So let me just give you a couple of final thoughts on this, and then we'll get ready to wrap up. I think sometimes when coaches say these types of things that there are certain people that treat those as kind of like an empty thread of, oh, these coaches are saying they're going to take their ball and go home, but they really won't. But look around. They are. They are leaving the sport. And some of you would say, well, I'm not going to shed any tear of these coaches. They make a lot of money. I do get that. But understand this. Why do they make a lot of money? because their expertise is valuable that level of 
of knowledge that a Jay Wright has in basketball or some of these assistant coaches have in football, not just guys in the Georgia staff, but across the sport. Their expertise is valuable. That's why they're well paid. And when they leave, when there is this, as I said before, brain drain from college sports, college sports get worse because of that. And listen, maybe it's not all because the transfer portal is bad or NIL is bad. There are certainly some reasonable arguments for why those things might be good. But just notice this, that the conversation that happens in private away from social media right now is very different than the prominent discussion that's being happening, that's been happening online, that is currently happening online. And it's just the kind of thing that we have to maybe pay a little bit more attention to of, you know, what does it mean when guys who are young enough to keep working decide they don't want to work anymore? I think that's one of those questions we ought to uh, consider here just a little bit. By the way, a great thing going on with Dog Nation here right now. We are honoring the great moms in our audience. And so many of you know a mother, your own mother, your wife who's a great mother. Maybe now you have a daughter who's turned out to be a great mother. And I know how proud that must make you. Well, this is our time to honor them as we head towards Mother's Day. Of course, as we continue to bask in the glow of a lot of championships around here over the course of the last year, well, let's celebrate some championship moms, courtesy of our friends at Kroger. We have a big prize. If you are a champion, you ought to get a big prize to show off for that. We got one for you. About $350 worth of a prize pack here, which includes gift cards to Bath, Bath and Body Works, Home Chef, and Kroger. Plus, our friends at Sequest at Stonecrest are also going to give away four annual passes to our winners uh, there as well. And uh, nominating someone to win very very easy just simply go to the email address info at dognation.com that's info at dognation.com tell us when the mom in your life is a championship mom you've got between now and april 29th to do that then after that i'll start announcing a winner each week on the show as we head towards mother's day and telling their story here a part of the program and letting them know they win a great prize pack of gift cards, courtesy of our friends at Kroger, and so much else there. So info at dognation.com, that's the email address to use. Tell us why the mom in your life, yours or someone that you know, is a championship mom. Do it before April 29th. We'll draw five winners at random, and I'll announce them coming up as we head towards Mother's Day here on our program. So much fun to be able to do that. Good luck to all of you who enter. All right, a couple golden shoes to give you on the way. As we say goodbye today, we'll throw the first one up on the screen here for a moment. Our buddy Matt Rukavina, we talked uniforms a little earlier. He says, uh, how's this for golden shoe moment? The red national title shirt, got the silver britches on and the black footwear. He says, you got to keep it old school. And that is definitely a classic old school look for UGA. So Matt Rukavina, happy golden shoe to you. Congratulations on winning. Yesterday, we talked about Florida trying to copyright the phrase, scared money don't make money, which was a phrase that Billy Napier used before he got to Florida that he stole from young Jeezy. Uh, and by the way, so many of you have had fun with that. Uh, our buddy Mike Mad Dog also letting us <laughs> know that his tongue is as sharp as a sling blade. And you got the Billy Bob Thornton character with the Florida logo on with the scared money don't make money quote. Uh, Mad Dog always very funny on that too. Golden Shoe coming his way there as well. By the way, speaking of those lousy, stinking Gators, they hadn't made money in a while from a championship standpoint. How about 4,851 days? And our Gator Hater countdown dogs back in Jacksonville, 191 days from right now. Y'all have a great day. We will see you tomorrow. It is Dog Nation Daily presented by Meriwether and Tharp. Talk to you then. And on the podcast, I'm going to have the R.S. Andrews podcast cool down. We'll take your comments here at dognation.com. And on the Dog Nation app, James, going on the cruise with us, writes in on Twitter to say, i got to be honest, the loose ends at work are tied up and taken care of. I'm more checked out than a senior during finals week. Monday can't soon 
Can't come soon enough. Go dogs. Hashtag dog nation. Looking forward to being on the dog nation cruise with us. I'm excited about that there as well. And I will give you a quick heads up about one thing. So we're going to be recording the shows. Uh, now, podcasts are kind of always recorded, of course, but we're going to record them a little bit differently while we're there. So the Monday show we're going to do live pretty much as as normal, or at least semi-normal on that. And then we're going to record the show for Tuesday on Monday night from the ship. Then we're going to record the show for Wednesday and Thursday on Tuesday while we're at Perfect Day, Coke OK. And then there's a chance that on Friday I may not publish a podcast. And I'm going to tell you why. Um, we're going to do something on video that day, but it might not quite be – what I think of as sort of a typical podcast. I'm always like very uh, hesitant to put anything on the, on the podcast feed here that you listen to that doesn't sound like the podcast. So, you know, if you tell me not be it, we still want it, um, that that's fine. But it's going to probably, probably be me reading a lot of video comments, things like that. And sometimes I'm just not quite so sure how that translates to the podcast. So maybe I'll think better and decide to do it uh, here on the podcast feed. But I'm thinking there's a chance I may publish a podcast Monday through Thursday of next week then do video only for Friday, not because I like video better, but just because I think what I'm going to do probably translates to video a little bit better. And then um, and then be back to normal again once we're back home again next Monday. So y'all can weigh in. Let me know how you feel about that. If you want the show to be published, even if it's not quite like a typical podcast, then maybe I just still will. But I do try to make sure that whatever we put out here in the podcast feed is a good use of your time. And hopefully you feel like we accomplished that. But your feedback is obviously important to me when it comes to that. So hope you have a great day. Thanks for being here for the RS Andrews podcast. Cool down. And we'll see you tomorrow on Dog Nation Daily presented by Meriwether and Tharp. We'll look forward to talking to you then.